Today on The Start, we shared many voices from Dauphin, as the names of the deceased were announced yesterday and a public vigil was held. And how do you find laughter in a difficult time? Whether it's an event that's happened in your community or something has happened to somebody close to you, or maybe you're dealing with your own personal adversity. We spoke to a comedian who's performing at Yuck Yucks this weekend who recently learned her cancer has returned. A new trial has been ordered for two men who were convicted of homicide almost 50 years ago. And what happened with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers? They got annihilated. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Loren McNabb and Greg Mackling, who's off for the next week. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Friday, June 23rd podcast for The Start. It is McGarry and McNabb. Mackling is off, and we've got so many different things to discuss today. We'll hear more from Dauphin in a moment. We'll learn more about what happened with the submersible on its way down to see the Titanic. Bombers played last night. But I guess before that, we should just touch on Greg's off today, and he's off next week, and, and Loren, and so begins the the carousel, the, the vacation musical chairs of summertime. Yeah, so I think we're going to do Greg, then me, then you, then me, then I don't know, I can't recall how it goes, but I'll see you in September, I suppose. <laughs> um, it won't be that long, I joke, but you know, I feel, I feel like, I, maybe I say this every year, but man... Could I really use some downtime right now? I don't know about you. I don't. It, of course, the events of the past week are weighing heavily on so many, but it just feels like summer has come, and we you want to get out there while you can to enjoy what you can and not take things for granted, right? And so I just feel like I feel that urgency to get going and then relax, like get fast to the relaxing. <laughs> no, that's perfect. And I often wonder it does if if this is if it's kind of a lingering effect of the time of year, like just that goes back to when we were in school, right? Because the end of June always meant the end of school. And I still have that feeling. And I've mentioned this before, but there are certain times of day that I just despise waking up at. I don't like it. We wake up at weird hours, but I don't mind it versus at 2 30 in the morning versus waking up around seven or eight o'clock because whenever i wake up at that time it just it feels like i'm <laughs> it still feels like i'm waking up to go to school <laughs> and it makes me unhappy when i think of that so maybe because it's it's the end of school maybe there's that that sort of leftover feeling like okay it's this is when we used to have downtime for two months when we were kids and maybe that we just can't it still kind of latches on to us as we approach July. What a world it would be if we could all have downtime for two months. I often think how jealous I am of my children. You know, like I'm so jealous <laughs> of you right now that you are on a, they are on a countdown. Pretty much since mid-May, it's been like 27 days of school, 26 days of school. Like they are counting it down. They love, they love going to school every day. It's just that they're ready for some, you know, to relax and not have the homework and all the rest. And more than that, I think, um, we're looking to spend some time together. And I think we're thinking a lot about family these days, right? And I just can't wait to create some special moments with them. All right. So the vacation carousel begins. Also today, one of the things we are scratching our heads about 
And 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 for perspective, one of our colleagues, Jay, down the hall at Power ninety seven, he said, "I'm sort of glad it happened early." But the yes. bombers, when I saw the, sc- I, I didn't have, I didn't watch the game. I didn't listen to the game last night. I checked the score and thought, "Oof, well, hopefully they can turn that around." And then the first thing I looked up this morning <laughs> to find they did not turn around. They got waxed by the BC Lions last night. Yeah, that's why Greg actually took a whole week off um, because he was stunned himself and needs some time to recuperate. No, I think it's good that it happens early. I think last year we did that run of several, I don't know, I want to say nine, 10, 11 weeks in a row. And it's like at some point, you know, you, you have to you have to lose. And so to happen now, I think that's fine. But I too went to bed. It was 10-6 BC when I last checked the score. And I woke up this morning and was doing so many other things. And then you wrote, wow, what what the what the expert is, Bombers. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah, I looked at the score and I thought, oh, did I not see that coming? That was a stinker. So we're going to get more into that later in the show as well. All right. So in the meantime, there there is so much to reflect on as Dauphin now moves forward in its support of the 16 families now planning funerals for the moms, dads, grandmas, and grandpas lost in last week's crash. At 637, it's important to us to share the names and stories of all 16 victims. And by stories, I just mean, you know, some of the reflections of the family members in their notes to the RCMP. And in our next segment, we are going to learn more on how the community came together with that public vigil last night. These, of course, are women and men who helped build that community. And if you had a chance to look at their photos, photos shared by the family, you really can't help but see glimpses of your own grandparents, maybe, right? Or your great-grandparents and aunts and uncles that I think shaped all of our lives. And in those photos, there's smiles, there's hints of mischief. I imagine the birthdays, those, you know, Baba's made a plan, traditional Ukrainian recipes shared. You don't need to know them to get how much their loss is being felt. The word tragedy has been used a lot over the last week, but never has that word had as much meaning as it does when we look at the photographs that line this room. Hearts are broken, families are grieving, a community is feeling immeasurable loss. These seniors were going out to have a a great day and and I had shared in a story that you you have to imagine uh, the people on the bus that were, have known each other for a long time, they would have been so joyful on that bus and so uh, happy um, to be together, to go on this trip Um, and disaster strikes. One week ago, news of the crash reverberated through our community. As the scope of the incident became clearer over the next days, a genuine sense of somberness and sadness descended upon Dauphin and the surrounding area. It was palpable. It showed how much we cared, how much we were concerned for the survivors and how we grieved for those that were lost. She and I um, participated in in a group um, outside of the center and I, I just, I guess I said I liked her a lot. I loved her. She was just a real sweet-souled lady and always happy to see you, always. We cannot feel your pain. We can only offer our sympathies. We cannot suffer your loss, but we can share your grief. Lots of hugs, lots of tears. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a community that's grieving as well. The families, the community, but it's also our province. Um, and I think there's, we've had an outpouring of support from people, you know, right across the country. And um, it's, you know, Manitoba's grieving right now.
It is McGarry and McNabb. Greg's off for the next week. It was a somber evening in Dauphin as the community gathered together at the Ukrainian Orthodox Hall for a vigil in memory of everyone who was lost during the tragic bus, bus crash near Carberry. Global's Rosanna Hempel has more. 18 candles lit at the front of the room, 16 for the lives lost, one each for the first responders and those still in hospital. Mourners crowded into the Ukrainian Orthodox Hall in Dauphin, comforting each other one week after a horrific crash rocked the small city of just over 8,000. Words are difficult to come by at a time like this. We can plan for a hurricane. The weather forecast gives us warning. We can get ready for a flood. The municipality will give you sandbags. But a tragedy like this can only be described one way that affects our community. It is a tragedy. Dauphin's Ministerial Association, which represents more than a dozen local churches, organized the event. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Leaders from local churches offered comfort through a moment of silence, prayer and song as some wiped away tears. Others hugged while the victims' names were read. Margaret Ferkelow. Father Brent with St. George's Ukrainian Orthodox Church asked families to include an empty place setting at every family event in their memory. From this day forward, we, the Dauphin Ministerial, ask that you pray for all of those who have departed and never forget them. As the community heals, Dauphin Mayor David Boziak is asking residents to continue supporting each other. We're hurting but we are also resilient. We are strong, Dauphin strong. Rosanna Hempel, Global News in Dauphin, Manitoba. One of the voices that stood out for me there, Brett, was the idea that, you know, you prepare for floods or you get warnings for different things and you can plan. And, you know, there's a, there's a, a theory that all 16 of these victims, given their age, would have, have planned for end of life, might have had contingency plans in place. Maybe they had notes for their funeral given, you know, the older you get, the more you plan like that. But nobody would have predicted their lives ending like this. And I know that's what makes it so hard for so many. You think of all the things, of all the ways I imagine this would go, this is not it. And so there will be so many more hard days ahead. At 637, we want to get into some of the names, but the stories, because, you know, one of the things... No one likes a funeral. I, I get that. But one of the things that I appreciate uh, in memorials or funerals is learning more about the people themselves. They could be someone you knew really well. They could be a close family member. And inevitably, there's a story about them that you think, oh, I didn't know that. Or some sort of a cute aside that you weren't aware of. And so there's a woman who knew many of these seniors because she worked with them, uh, ran activities for them, loved them, as she says in her words. And we're going to share some of her reflections because it's uh, there's always the nice things that get said, but also the funny things, you know, the quirks about someone like, you know, uh, the, the comments you might make that make you laugh because we're all human. We all have moments that uh, help us connect with one another. After publicly coming together to grieve, 16 families will now work to organize their own private moments for loved ones lost in that horrific crash last week. There are funerals to come after the community gathered last night for that vigil to honour those who are never coming home. And, and of course, the nine still fighting to come home from hospital. And in a moment, we're going to share with you some reflections one Dauphin resident has about the friends she lost in that crash. But first, 
16 photos and names were shared yesterday, and we wanted to go through the people so many are remembering. Louis Bretischer, 81. Proud and beloved husband, father, papere, he will be forever missed and always remembered by all who knew and loved him. Our hearts lay also with those families that are grieving alongside ours. We request that our family's privacy be respected by the media during this difficult time. Margaret Furcolope, 82, forever in our hearts. Vanjie Gilchrist, 83, of Gilbert Plains. Anne Hill, 81, rest in peace mom, grandma, great grandma, and sister. Helen Kufle, 88. We are heartbroken and numb by this tragedy and the loss of our vibrant mother, Baba and Great Baba. She was and always will be the cornerstone of our family, the one we always went to for advice and wisdom, and we will miss her terribly. Thank you for all the first responders, for their incredible work, and the city of Dauphin and area for their caring. Arlene Linquist, 68, loving mother, grandmother, and friend. Diane Midwood, 70. Nettie Nakanechny, 87, a longtime resident of Dauphin, former school teacher, and Baba, to not only her own grandchildren and great grandchildren, but to the many others who knew her. She was very proud of her Ukrainian heritage. She will be missed by all of us who loved her. Shirley Novokowski, 76, loving mother, grandmother, and sister. Frank Pergillo, 82. Rose Pergillo, 80. Jean Rosencrantz, 82. Donna Chodra, 79. She will be deeply missed by her children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. Lillian Stobie, 73, loving mother, nana, and friend. Patsy Zamerkut, 88. Claudia Zerba, 87. Your life was a blessing. Your memory is a treasure. You were loved beyond words and missed beyond measure. She was our mom, nana, great nana, great great nana, love you forever. Our hearts were shattered into pieces that day, June 15th, 2023. Now, Kim Armstrong is with the Active Living Centre in Dauphin. She knew many of the victims, but says for the past week, the community has tried really hard not to share too much until everyone's identity was confirmed. So it's sort of been like holding our breath because you can't begin your processing until it's official, so to speak. There's always that small percentage of hope that you got something wrong. And um, now we'll move on to the next chapter. Like so many, Kim's mind, I think, is now flooded with memories, you know, of the friends, of the places they visited. She went on outings with many of these seniors. There was laughs shared. And I really uh, I appreciated the story she shared of Louis Bredisher. He was 81, and it sounds like he uh, gave Kim a lot of laughs. 
Louis was a real character, and he and his wife both volunteer at the center. Um, Louis would sell tickets for us. Um, he he came in one, quite day, perturbed with me one day because I was not stapling tickets correctly. And so he spent a good amount of time telling me how I needed to staple them or I needed to have a stapler to give him so that he could do it properly. And he was extremely offended when I told him that that was probably the least of my worries. But he took it all in stride and, and continued to sell tickets for us. I'd like to be remembered as a real character. I think that's a, I like, that's a great way to disguise someone. Brett? Yeah, I think so for sure. Uh, Kim also knew and loved Margaret Furcolo and described her as a real dolly. And uh, we think that this next sentiment hits home. Individuals come and go through our centre, and so we don't always see them here, but we see them outside. So, yep, we will, um, when I go to visit individuals where Margaret lived, I'm going to look for her just out of habit. Um, I was looking for her on the patio the other day and just realized that not today. Yeah, that uh, that... We were just talking in recent days about relying on Facebook for birthday reminders. And there's, I, 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 it happens once a year for the, the last few years now. I get the, the note that it's so-and-so's birthday. And then I start to type up happy birthday uh, to this old friend. And then I remember that he's gone. And it just, it's it sort of, you feel guilty for almost forgetting, and but at the same time, it, it's just one of those things where you know his his life ended in in tragedy, and and um, you, you sort of get this flood of of good memories and the sad memories all in that in that one moment, and so I, I totally uh, can relate to what she just said there, Loren. Yeah, and I think the idea too is that we've when you lose someone, you do see them often and you do come to that house or to that dinner that gathering and you you want so badly for them to be there you perhaps had so many good times with them or meals or laughs shared that you 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 do forget for a second and you have that oh right like they're not here and so that will be it'll be thousands of moments like that throughout the city of Dauphin and, and in the homes of people who lost their loved ones and so our thoughts go out to them we're going to share more from the community of Dauphin at 750 and really you know work to reflect on on remembering everyone in the best possible way, the stories, the lives they had, the the laughs. And I think that's what it's about is those memories. Is It's important for everyone. It is McGarry and McNabb. Mackling's off for a week. We got wind yesterday. There is a dude from BC named Bobby Dubow who is attempting to set a Guinness World Record for fastest to visit all CFL stadiums. He started yesterday here in Winnipeg. On June 24th, he's in Calgary. June 25th, Edmonton. June 30th, Ottawa. July 1st, Montreal. July 3rd, Toronto. July 6th, Saskatchewan. July 8th, Hamilton. And July 9th, back home in BC. Kelly Moore spoke to him yesterday at IG Field. Uh, I first told the Lions about it, and they didn't really care. Uh, <laughs> okay. And you're going to watch them three times during this process. Exactly. I'm going to see them three times finish there as well. So hopefully by the end of this tour, maybe they'll realize this is a historic moment happening. Uh, no, I'm just doing it on my own. I have uh, lots of family across Canada too. So they're uh, basically my number one expense, I'm assuming, is going to be uh, stadium beers. 
I salute this CFL super fan on his quest to set a Guinness World Record. So, for a chance to win tickets to see the Winnipeg Sea Bears versus the Niagara River Lions at Canada Life Center on June 29th, is there a Guinness World Record you would like to attempt? Have you ever attempted one? And I, we know that some of our listeners have. And I think you've, one of them even set one for a time. And then, or just a person, like, do you have a personal best that you're really proud of? 204-780-6868. Loren McNabb, why don't we start with you? I don't have a personal best in anything. <laughs> and I'm sure there's something, and I'm, I'm sure I could figure it out. I mean, like, I guess if I if I stopped and thought about it, my personal best, you know, like, yes, like I've read a lot of books in one day on vacation, or I eat a lot of chips. I don't know if those are things to be proud of, but if you look at the Guinness Book, man, there are some, like, crazy weird records in there, right? Like, you, you might not even know they exist. You could think of anything, like, uh, longest time to hold your breath or heaviest train pulled or that kind of stuff. I would like to do something like figure out if there's a category for most five-star hotels visited on someone else's dime. Is that a record I could set? (laughs) I I started going down this rabbit hole last night. You know, you're trying to just kind of calm yourself before bed. And I started looking at just different travel destinations. And of course, eventually Instagram just started feeding me nonstop places that I needed to go. And I want to get to as many hotels where there's a, ocean underneath the floor where I can look at with glass <laughs> and that's the record I want to set for myself. Apparently they're just everywhere and I've never been to one. So that's 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 the goal I've set right now. I, I have a record for you, Loren, and this is one that you are the holder of. Uh oh. Do you know about this? No. Uh, the most times uh, anyone has chased someone down the hallway at Global News here on the 30th floor. Just yesterday. Just yesterday to me. She's chased... Like at least twelve people down the down the hallway. It's not chasing. What it is is that you get up and you walk past the desk right around the same time I'm about to walk about that. in that direction, and then I just have this compulsion to walk faster. And then there's like, like speed. Must, like then we're not even going to the same up. space, and I'm like, I must be ahead of Sarah right now. I will get to the studio before her. It's uh, yeah, you're sounds, right. Sounds that is like a PB. Ch- sounds like chasing to me. But... <laughs> Fine. <laughs> it's even more fun in the winter when Loren's wearing the uh, the Sorrells. Then you can hear me coming. I think I snuck right up on Sarah yesterday, and she's like, "Why are you here so close to me?" <laughs> well, Sarah, why don't we go to you next? Oh, sure. Uh, so yeah, I was thinking, like, what's something I love? What's something I would all like to have in one place? So I would like to beat this world record. So here's the headline: U.S. steals world record from Scotland for most golden retrievers in one place with 681. So you don't, I was thinking, I was like, oh, maybe you could like own that many goldens, but no, these were all just different owners bringing them to one place. Just got to organize it. Exactly. I think Winnipeg could do it. So, uh, yeah. And the kicker, the person who organized this, the person that holds the records name is Goldie. Oh my goodness, I'm looking so, at pictures yeah. of this. It looks like the happiest place on that's earth. Had, had to have changed her name to Goldie because that's just so. that's like that's like a <laughs> mechanic with the last name wrench. But the situation is <laughs> you couldn't go you'd be smothered. Yeah. They'd be all so happy to see you, six hundred of them running at the, every person because they're so happy to see golden retrievers, you wouldn't be able to survive. You'd be smothered with happiness. Yeah, there you yeah. go. I guess it's a way to go, yeah. <laughs> it goes some way. This is a much better one than yeah. anything I've thought of. Well done, Sarah. Forte, what about you? 
Okay, well, mine's uh, kind of like Lorenz, and Brett, you could uh, you could help me out with this, or uh, come come along the adventure, but uh, it's the most pubs visited. Ooh. Mm. Okay. Yeah, well, I just have to go to one more pub than you, Brett, and that way I, I you know, I hold the record. I <laughs> <laughs> hey, know, I also go to the Grove. It's, 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 it's held by Bruce Masters, and he's gone to 46,495. Oh. I'm, I'm ready for the challenge. Yeah. Wow. He just, does he just walk in, or does he have to have a beer? I believe he has to have a beer, a little okay. uh, little drinky poo. Yeah, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to risk it. Summer I'm ready of pubs. to risk it. Summer yes. pubs, there, there you go. go. No, that would be. I, I'd, I'd love to visit like an, a, a, an English pub or something like a like in England. Um, yeah, well, he's from the UK, so okay. Oh, surprise, surprise. Cam, what about you? Well, again, like I mean, I'm the whole, I'm the holder of millions of records myself. I'm a, I'm a world <laughs> record king. Uh, you know, as a kid, I would break records all the time. I'd pick up a rock. Has anyone ever picked this rock up before and thrown it at that tree? No. World record. <laughs> Today, on the 30th floor, I was, I was looking at Sarah, and I said, has anyone ever jumped up on their leg and went, yep, <laughs> No one's ever done that. World record. I'm a holder of so many world records, it's unbelievable. As a kid, I was an expert at it. I've kind of slowed down as I get older, uh, but... Unbelievably, millions of world records. I've done things people have never done before. You wouldn't believe. <laughs> oh what was that sound again on jumping on one leg? All right. So 204-780-6868 for a chance to win tickets to see the Winnipeg Sea Bears on June 29th. What is a Guinness world record you would like to attempt? Have you ever attempted a world record? Or if not world record, maybe you've got your own sort of little personal best like once upon a time when I was a teenager, upon challenge from my mom, I, I ate an entire Costco-sized bag of Cheetos Puffs. Still really proud of that. Like in like one the, sitting. Like those jar, that huge jar? Yeah, like, like the, the big, the big, 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 the big bag. The huge Costco bag. I oh, ate the whole thing in one shot. Ill. I was 16. I was a, like, you know, my stomach was an iron uh, the shell. I just, I could eat anything. But, that cheese uh, dust is lining your stomach to this day. Probably. <laughs> It's McGarry and McNabb, Mackling's off for a week. Inspired by Bobby Dubow, CFL superfan super from BC, who is trying to set a Guinness World Record for fastest visit to all CFL stadiums. His quest began last night here in Winnipeg. We're asking you, what's a Guinness World Record you'd like to attempt? Have you ever attempted a Guinness World Record? Or just, like, do you have your own personal best that you're really proud of? And Corinne says, I'm going for the Guinness Book of Records... For the oldest female never to have changed a baby's diaper. I had rules back in the day for babysitting that they had to be potty trained. And yes, I have been thinking about this record since high school. Who knows? Maybe I've already got the record as I turned 59 last week. That's a good record. Nothing wrong with that one. I've never changed a baby's diaper. I mean, I don't have kids and I don't have any babies in my life where I would have to have done that. And I'm thankful for that. So, yeah. I, I really feel it's, you know, like it's sometimes it's gross enough when it's your own kid. And then you're like, this isn't even my kid. And now I got to deal with this stink. Like, <laughs> come on. Uh, Johnny asks, is there a world record for procrastination? Mm -hmm. And I would suspect if there is, it would it was maybe set at a Winnipeg social for people who wait to buy tickets. Uh, I'm, and I'm one of them. I'll be like, ah, yeah, I'll get it. I'll get a ticket from you eventually. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I'll, just put my name on a list. Yeah. And then you don't get to go. And then you don't go. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, that that's probably a good one. Pete says my world record. So this is a goal for Pete, right? Not something he's done is to visit every NHL city and buy a jersey from that team. Our last adventure was to Vegas. We've also been to Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, Toronto, Ottawa, Chicago, Nashville, Arizona, and Carolina. And yes, we also have several Jets jerseys. So how many? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Eleven <laughs> teams. So he's like a third of his way there. Yeah, he says they've got at least 12 jerseys now. And as he mentioned, several of them are Winnipeg. But that's cool. And um, that would be, that sounds like something right up Mackling's alley, actually, because I think he's got a goal to visit every uh, Major League Baseball stadium. Have you ever been to a Major League Baseball game, by the way, Loren? Oh, yeah. I've been to Twins in Minneapolis uh, when I lived in Toronto. We, I lived on Blue Jay Way, so I was like right next to the stadium. Uh, I've been to Yankees Stadium and both where the... Wrigley Field in Chicago, and then the other one, which names escape me, and Boston. Was it Comiskey? The other, the other one. I don't know, Brett. It's no, one of those things, a, you know. A, you're a, there. Yeah, they, everybody likes Wrigley Field. The other one is just the Wrigley other Field's one. amazing, and Boston was incredible. And the other one in Chicago, just I don't even know if it had good hot dogs. I don't even know what to remember about that one. <laughs> and isn't Chicago the home of the hot dog? I don't know. Federal Justice Minister David Lametti has ordered a new trial for two Indigenous men who were convicted of murder by an all-white jury in Winnipeg 49 years ago. So there was, wasn't an explanation as to why the new trial was ordered. Lametti cited unspecified new evidence in this decision for another trial for Brian Anderson and Alan Woodhouse that... They were sentenced to life in prison in the death of Ting Fong Chan, a restaurant worker who was fatally stabbed while leaving work in the exchange in 1973. Our next guest is Ron Dalton. He's the co-president of Innocent Canada, which is a group that works to free innocent individuals. And Ron himself is an exoneree. Good morning, Ron. Good morning. If I'm recalling the details correctly, there were four people convicted and charged in this, two adults, two kids. And so now two will get a new trial they're no longer in prison, correct? This isn't a case of trying to get them out. They're out and now trying to clear their name. Well, they're they're no longer in prison, but as lifers, people serving life sentences, they continue to serve their sentence in the community. So they still need permission to travel. They're still under the supervision of the National Parole Board. So they're far from free. So this this is a big step. Today they're free. Yesterday morning, this time they were not. So by overturning their convictions, they've now been returned to the presumption of innocence that you and I and, and all Canadian citizens enjoy. So what can you tell us about the why behind this decision to give these men a new trial? I, I can't tell you a lot because there are pending retrials, of course. The ball is now in the, in the court of Manitoba Justice, who will decide whether or not to proceed with a retrial. What normally happens in these situations is the individuals will be brought before the court in, uh, in Winnipeg, hopefully sometime in the next two or three weeks. Uh, they'll stand up. The charges will be read. They'll enter not guilty pleas. The Crown will stand up and acknowledge that they have no evidence to offer, and they'll be formally acquitted. If but I understand that, that, that decision, that decision is up to the Crown at this point. Right, and then they decide if they want to pursue with the new trial or just leave it as is, correct? Exactly, yes. Well, okay. not, not even leave it as, as is, because uh, currently they're still charged with homicide. 
So we, we don't want it left pending as is. We want them to be formally acquitted. And that normally happens when the Crown acknowledges that there's no longer any evidence to base a conviction on, which I suspect is what will happen in this case. So I can't speak on behalf of the Crown. If I, if I do recall it right, uh, one of the prosecutors on, the, on this team back in 1973-74 was George Dangerfield, whose name, of course, has been uh, tied to other wrongful convictions. Is that part of it, do you understand, or can you go into those details, Ron? Well, that's, that's certainly part of it. The George Dangerfield has the dubious distinction of being the, uh, the prosecutor in this country with the most wrongful convictions to his discredit, I guess. He's, it's long since time when he was practicing. But uh, once upon a time, and we're going back 49 years ago, the Winnipeg Police Service did not have a great reputation. If you were a young, indigenous, uh, marginalized person in Winnipeg and you are being prosecuted by George Dangerfield and investigated by the Winnipeg Police Service, it was almost a record for wrongful conviction. And we've had a number of cases uh, uh, come out of uh, Winnipeg and and, uh, uh, Mr. Dangerfield's prosecutions that have ended up wrongly. On that list, I think it's at Sofino, uh, when you talk about uh, the connection to Dangerfield and then your police conversations there. There's Sofino, James Driscoll, Kyle Unger, Frank Ostrowski. Uh, they, they're all on that list of wrongfully convicted. And every, Ron- every every one of them is on that list. And now, of course, so is, is Brian Anderson and uh, A.J. Woodhouse. And so for you, I mean, you're one of the few that can truly appreciate what it's like to go through this process. You spent eight years in prison and then I, you read, I think I read another 12 to clear your name, Ron. So how... Huh. Can you even was, put into words 12, this journey? 12, 12 years twelve years in total from the time I was arrested until I was uh, ultimately acquitted. Okay. Then I was another seven years going through a public inquiry and, and civil proceedings to get some compensation for what myself and my family had been through. So uh, that still pales by comparison to the 49 years that Mr. Anderson and Woodhouse have, have gone through. And they're uh, they're my age. You know, I, I graduated high school in, in 1974, which was the year that they were convicted, and that's uh, 49 years ago. So uh, they've lived most of their lives with this cloud hanging over their head. They served uh, 10 and 12 years uh, in prison, so they've they've been through a lot, and they've never been truly free. It's it's nice that the minister has done this, and this particular minister has has been very good at recognizing these wrongful convictions. Uh, it takes years and years. The process is still way too long. But there is current legislation in front of the House at the moment. Uh, the minister introduced Bill C-40 back in February. It went through second reading uh, earlier this week. So it's slowly making its way through through Parliament. And the purpose would be to set up an independent, publicly funded body to do the type of work that Innocence Canada is doing as a as a non-profit uh, uh, organization. And we, we're working for the last 30 years to correct the mistakes of courts and governments, and we're paying for the privilege. So we spend half of our time raising money to exist, and the other half doing the work that's necessary to overturn these convictions. Ron Dalton is co-president of Innocence Canada, a group that works to free innocent individuals and himself an exoneree. Ron, thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it. You're welcome. I hope to see you in Winnipeg soon. And that is it from IG Field. The Bombers falling at home for the first time in quite a while. 
30 to 6 the final. 30 to 6, Loren. That was not the score I was look, hoping to see when I opened my phone this morning. It was, uh, I went to bed. I said it was 10 to 6 for the Lions. And I thought, okay, well, let's, I didn't expect them to be losing, but I thought there was a lot of game left to go and we'd eventually see a victory. And then when you texted this morning with your question <laughs> that I can't repeat, I thought, yeah, that is a stinker. So when we want to talk stinkers, <laughs> We go to Bob Irving. How are you doing this morning, Bob? Uh, I'm doing just fine. How are you guys? Well, I'm wondering, were we that bad, or is BC that good? Like, what happened? Well, I think the Bombers were that bad. It was, uh, you know, a shocker, really. I'm still trying to digest it, because the Bombers had won 28 of their last 30 home games. And one of the things Michael Shea said after the game was he felt badly that they had let the fans down. They had almost 27,000 there last night. And, Lorraine, you talked about maybe the tide turning. And I, as the game went along, I was thinking the same thing. Well, the tide is going to turn because I've seen the Bombers fall behind and start slowly during these last three or four years when they won most of their games. But the tide never turned. And part of that is credit to the BC Lions. They played a terrific game. The other part of it is uh, the Bombers just played an, an awful game, a horrible game, uh, the worst game I've seen them play. I can't even remember when they played that poorly, especially at home. There's a term that's used to describe an outcome like that on the losing side, and it's an old-fashioned butt-kicking, and that's what it was. The Lions just physically, physically dominated the Blue Bombers, and that's what will stick in the craw of the Bombers more than anything. In football in particular, you hate when you're beaten physically. And I mean, the line of scrimmage, you know, BC's defensive line uh, was stronger and more physical than Winnipeg's offensive line. And the uh, the opposite could be said of the BC O-line and uh, the Bomber defensive line. It was just, uh, I don't know, it was one of those nights out of nowhere. And we've, we've become so accustomed to watching the Bombers win their games. Uh, to lose is one thing, but to lose in that fashion, nobody saw that coming. And uh, beyond saying they got beat physically. Uh, I don't know what else you can say to explain it. Yeah, Trina from Bosager, one of our listeners, uh, pointing out one of the jokes that was made during the postgame show last night that uh, the bomb, it was 90s night and Pride Night last night at the at IG Field, and I guess for 90s night they played like the Bombers from the 90s. But uh, <laughs> is there anything positive to be taken from the Bombers' performance at all? Well, if you ask Mike O'Shea that, he'd say there's nothing positive in losing. Now, there's another side to that argument, Brett, and it is that, you know, your deficiencies are exposed, so you know exactly what you have to do to correct them. The other thing, and I don't think this applies to the Blue Bombers, but sometimes when teams are used to winning and win all the time, they become a little complacent, fat and sassy, call it whatever you want, uh, and they need to be kind of brought down a notch to realize that they got to get back to doing the things they do properly. So I suppose you could make that argument that this was, in a way, good for the Bombers. They realize they are mere mortals, and if they play like that, they're going to get their noses rubbed in it. Uh, and so, you know, beyond that, I can't see anything positive in it. Uh, you know, they have a game a week from Saturday in Montreal where they get a chance to get back on track, and I'm sure they'll be pretty fired up for that. Here's the other thing. The BC Lions have a good, young, talented team. And I think, you know, they came in here last night and everybody's saying, well, the Bombers are the best. Nobody can beat them at home. And so they really had a motivational edge. They were a fired-up young bunch. And they just took it to Winnipeg. And so 
I say hats off to the BC Lions. And for Bomber fans, I would say don't panic. It's one game. Let's not overreact to it. It's one game in their first two games of the season. They were very impressive and one handling. So uh, we'll just wait to see what, what the next game brings. It's so simplistic to say, Bob, but at some point you have to lose. And so they lost and it's not, you know, you want to, you want to win every week after week. I get that. Yeah. But you know, there was that theory too, that you do it now, get it out of the way and yeah. regroup rather than do it in week 15. Well, you don't ever want to do it, but I hear what you're saying. I, I hear what you're saying. And that's uh you know, that's an argument that you can make that it uh, this was very humbling for the blue bombers. There's no question about it. And so if they had become complacent or lackadaisical at anything they were doing and, I'm not sure I buy into that, but if they had, this will shock them back to reality in a big way. And so, yeah, maybe there's some good to be had from it uh, going down the road. Now they'll get back on their horse and they'll ride the way we've become accustomed to seeing them ride the last most of the last three years. It was just uh, as I sat there watching it, I'm thinking, what's going on here? These are the Bombers who have been to the last three Grey Cups, and they're playing here at IG Field in front of all their great fans, and they just can't turn the tap off. You know, BC just kept taking it to them the entire game. And so maybe one of those things of what could go wrong did go wrong last night. And, uh, again, it'll be interesting now, very interesting, to see what happens in their next game to see if they can bring themselves back to where we expect them to be. Bob, one of the things we're talking about this morning is this uh, this Bobby Dubow, this CFL superfan who's attempting to set a Guinness World Record for fastest to visit all of the CFL stadiums uh, as close together. So he began his quest last night in Winnipeg. But on the subject of records, we're curious to know, like, you got to sit up in that booth for a long time. What's uh, two questions, actually. First, what's the like the longest broadcast you've ever been a part of is for a football game? Do you remember? Well, I don't remember the specific game, but there was a game, I think it was three or four years ago, we had a lightning a lightning delay. Uh, and Doug and I were on the air from the pregame show at 5.30 till about 1.30 in the morning <laughs> when when the postgame show finally ended. And, and we never left the air. We filled uh, the delay with conversation and commercial breaks. We didn't, like, throw it back to the studio and say, okay, run some music or whatever. We just stayed on the air, and we we had people help us bringing guests in and all the rest of it, and the game finally resumed. But that was about eight straight hours, I think, uh, on the air. That's the longest one I can remember. There was another one in Winnipeg and another one in Regina where there was a, a lightning delay, but that was the longest of them. And I remember leaving the stadium just after 1 or close to one thirty. <laughs> I was shaking my head. It was kind of, in a way, it was kind of fun. I told people afterward, it's kind of fun to just sit there during the delay and shoot the breeze, which is yeah. what we did during that uh, that time period. Because normally you're calling the game, you're describing the plays, although on the pregame show we shoot the breeze a lot. But uh, that was kind of fun. I actually remember listening to good chunks of that game because I wasn't uh, at home. I was in my car, and I can't remember where I was coming from. But I think it turned out being the longest weather delay in CFL history. Perhaps there's been one longer since, but it was almost, it was two hours and 55 minutes. I just looked that up now, Bob. So yeah. I remember listening and thinking at one point you weren't even talking football. I mean, cause you, cause you can't do that for the, <laughs> for the whole time, right? No, we, we talked about a little bit of everything. And I, as I say, it was, it was kind of fun in a way because you could just kind of put your feet up like you're sitting around a fire and <laughs> shoot the breeze about different things. That rings a bell, though, almost three-hour delay before the game resumed. Yeah, I remember that one quite well. And while you're up in that booth, what's the longest you've ever had to uh, go 
and and hold it and not go to the washroom. <laughs> well, I always find time at halftime to do that. I always did find time at halftime to do that. And fortunately, uh, it never became an urgent problem, Brad, I'm happy to say. Um, and I'd never drank very much before a game because I knew that, uh, you know, I shouldn't do that. I wouldn't be smart or I'd be, there'd be play going on and I'd be down the hall relieving myself. So, I, you know, i <laughs> I manage that very well, Brett. Let's put it that way. Well, good you for you. E- you don't ever want to be in, and I've been there, leaving a game or at the washroom when you hear that roar of the crowd because there's nothing worse, let alone having to call that game. Before we let you go, Bob, uh, have you, maybe I'm wrong, have you been to a lot of ballparks or other in North America? Because one of the records one of our listeners wants to hit is to hit all the ballparks uh, in MLB. Where are you on that one? Well, I've been to quite a few stadiums in the U.S. Of course, I've been to all the uh, football stadiums and the baseball stadium in Toronto as well. So I've been quite a few uh, to quite a few. I heard about this guy yesterday, and apparently his last leg, he's going to go to Regina for a game, and then he's going to go to Hamilton. And I'm thinking, well, if he's going from Regina to Hamilton, he's going through Calgary because there are no direct flights to the eastern part of the country from Regina. So. He's going to have a long haul before all is said and done, and I, I wish him well. It'll be an interesting journey. Bob Irving joining us live to talk some football. Bob, thank you very much for this. Okay, anytime, you guys. And, Loren, you mentioned that uh, you don't want to be in the bathroom or, or not in your seat when there's something good that happens. And I remember the first game I ever went to at IG Field was, uh, I think it was their, maybe it was their second year there already, uh, and it was early in the season, and they played uh, – Oh no! Actually, pardon me. It was later in the season. They they and they were not having a good season, and they played BC actually, and the, they got killed. They the score was like fifty to three or something ridiculous like that. But uh, like the, the the Lions scored on the first play from scrimmage, like the first play of the game, they ran in a touchdown, and uh, I just sort of chuckled to myself. But there was one one shining moment in that game was because Buck Pierce had been dealt to the BC Lions, so he was their backup QB. And we saw him warming up on the sidelines, so we were kind of getting excited. We're like, oh, Buck's going to come in. But I ran to the washroom, and sure enough, that's when the crowd, the one time the crowd actually got excited was the one moment I missed because Buck had taken to the field. He was coming into the game, and the crowd wanted to show their appreciation for him, and I missed it because I was in the can. So you got nothing. You got nothing from that game. I think I'm trying to remember if that was the Joe Mack era of that Blue Bombers game that was so horrible. And I, too, I've told the story several years ago against Montreal. We left. We had kids. We decided that, you know, we were losing by, I don't know, at least 20 points. And we got in the car. And then as you're in the car, in the parking lot, you hear the roar. And you think, no! And then I turn on the radio for Bob Irving. And then I think, no. And he's literally saying, if you left this game right now, you are missing out. And you're like, What? Ah, that's the way. Have you ever tried to attempt a Guinness World Record? Is there one you would like to try? Or do you have a personal best like Ron B who says, or no, pardon me, it wasn't Ron. Um, Oh, there he is. Yeah, Ron says, I believe I am close to getting the record for continuously not winning any radio contests. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> we, you never answered that question. Do you have a record you'd, you'd set or have set? Uh, you know what? I um, one that A personal best that I was trying to achieve was uh, on my pogo ball. 
You remember the pogo <laughs> ball? Oh, yeah. I think I cleared 600 before and then it popped. So, but the 600 continuous jumps. That's like, pretty good. I, I thought that was the most disappointing toy. Really? In the I, end. Oh, I, I loved my pogo did ball. Did you? I just felt like it was supposed to really take, like, I thought the bounce was going to give me so much more. Oh, yeah. I see what you mean. You thought, like, you'd be hopping along. And you really, it would only put you, like, six inches off the ground. Yeah, like, I wanted the sound of, like, boing, and then I land again, <laughs> boing. Like, that's what I was anticipating. And I'm sure my parents hated it because I think oh. I went through five of them. As soon as it would break, I'd be like, Mom, Dad, I need another pogo ball. I have no idea what they cost. I just know that when I said, Mom, Dad, get me another pogo ball, uh, they eventually would. So until I stopped crying. So we're going to pick a winner for the Seabirds tickets at 9.15. In the meantime, normally Fridays at 9.05, we speak to Gabrielle Marchand, our weekly Gab with Gabby, host and anchor of Global News Morning. She's off today, but Global News Morning's Clay Young joins us because, Clay, you were uh, on a walkabout today with Winnipeg Police, so where'd you go? Oh, uh, we went pretty much everywhere, Mr. McGarry. Um, and there was this one was a twist. Uh, once again... Uh, you may remember we've done a couple of walk-alongs in the past with uh, Constable Sean Black, a very affable, friendly officer. I call him the king of Kensington because the downtown is his beat, and everywhere we go, people know him, and they call him out by name. How's it going, Sean? And I'm going, oh, my God, you're really popular. He says, part of my job is to get a good rapport with everyone down here. I don't care if you own a company I don't care if you're homeless. It's part of my job. I said, well, you do it very well, and everyone down here seems to like you. But we also invited the mayor, Scott Gillingham, to join us. And uh, when I asked him, he said, when do you want me? Let's do it. So the three of us, along with our professional cameraman, Randall, uh, tootled around the downtown. And we, we started, and, you know, we were, this was very serious. We started uh, very close to uh, Fort and Graham, which is where we are now. And we talked about the, the tragic incident. It happened last Saturday. I'm sure a lot of people have heard about it. A young man, 17-year-old, had just left a concert, and he was heading over to where to meet up with his family. Uh, a confrontation ensued with a group of people, and he was attacked, basically. And last word, he's in critical condition. Constable Black who was with the uh, uh, walk-along with us, was one of the first officers on the scene that night. He was doing crowd control, I guess, because it was a concert, and he said it was, it, it was hard to describe. There was a lot of chaos happening. Uh, the mayor said, you know, I asked his reaction. He says protecting our citizens is critical. Uh, then we went behind the library that, for our next hit, and there's a, a small little homeless camp there. And the mayor said, you know, we've got to get more people out of these tents and into affordable housing. And then when, where did we go? Oh, we were walking all over the place. We ended up going to uh, Bourbon Street Billiards. I don't know if you've ever seen it or know about it. It's right across from where the old bay was. And Constable Black took us down and we, we met the owner there who said ever since the pandemic, he's had undesirables just barge into his business uh, asking for money. Uh, if they have no money to give, they start getting very threatening. 
his staff has been uh, threatened. They're frightened. Customers have run out of the place. And again, the mayor says, you know, we've got to give the police what they need, and we've got to work more closely with them to find a solution. And on a positive note, we ended up at North, True North Square, uh, where we were talking about some of the good things. And we, we mentioned all the festivals. And I said, you know, a few weeks ago, the wife and I came down downtown, and it was very weird for me to come downtown at night. It was a Friday night. It was 8 o'clock. And she says, what's wrong? I said, I'm used to coming into downtown at 3 in the morning when there's no one here. I'm not used to seeing all these people. The bars were packed. The restaurants were packed. We couldn't find a place to, to park. And the mayor says one of the solutions is to get more people downtown to work, play, and live because there's strength in numbers. So we were doing a whirlwind uh, after all of this. It was quite an experience. And bringing the mayor on was, was a big bonus. I'm glad he agreed to do this. Clay, before we let you go, we have just about a minute. But, you know, you talked about that owner of the billiards place across from the Bay expressing that you know, what's changed for him since the pandemic. I'm curious if, if Constable Black or, or others you spoke to just talked about any shift they may have seen, whether that's, I mean, I think we can all describe what we feel like we've seen. But is there also some sort of attitude shift or behavioral shift that we can talk about that's, that goes beyond substance abuse and other? You know what? I, I, uh, the, the last time we did a walk along uh, of this nature, uh, Constable Black, and I'm not trying, to, not trying to make this sound negative, but Constable Black was much more upbeat and talking much more positive about the downtown. And I'm being honest here. He, his attitude had changed because of, maybe because he was, had witnessed what he witnessed what happened here last Saturday night with the young man. Um, it, it, he just seemed that things are getting in some ways worse than they are better. And I, I've, I've done three walk-alongs and this is the third one. And this, this one, he, you know, I'm talking to him as I normally would. And it, he just seemed a little more reserved. And I, when I, I said, okay, right off the bat, let's talk about what happened here Saturday. He said, Clay, I was here. I was working Saturday night. Then I started to understand, you know. So, Clay Young, thank you very much for joining yeah. us this morning, sir. We appreciate it. You bet. Anytime. Clay Young from Global News Morning joining us live, and he'll have more on what he learned today on the 6 o'clock news tonight on Global Winnipeg. It's McGarry and McNabb. Mackling is off this week. We have tickets to give away for the Winnipeg Sea Bears. Go see some basketball. Canada Life Center on June 29th. And we're asking you, what world record would you like to try? Have you ever tried one? Or do you just have a personal best that you uh, either are proud of or maybe not so proud? And Don, with one of our runners up here, says, Decades ago, a friend and I attempted to set the world record for altitude with a kite. We used a fishing rod with over 1,000 feet of line. Not sure if we set the record, but reeling that thing in was a real <laughs> wrist buster. It looks like the Ren and I, 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 I'm getting sort of mixed uh, results here, but it looks like the record might be in Australia uh, where four Australian kite enthusiasts flew a, cl- a kite to a claimed 16,000 feet. Come on. 
Where's the string coming for that? <laughs> I don't know. And how heavy would that spool or whatever you call it be? How are you holding 16,000 feet of string? And then uh, there's a, of course, there's a Wikipedia page, Kite Line, and there's something here that says 31,000 feet. Come on. I need to look that and look no. further into that. I don't even see how that's possible. You'd, ha- you'd, be like, you'd be like pulling in like a whale from the ocean, it would feel like having that <laughs> amount of line. I exaggerate, but I don't even, I couldn't even get my kite to go up 20 feet when I was a kid. <laughs> Same here. I think I tried it once or twice. I, I don't know. I got it maybe maybe 100 feet. It was fun, but uh, yeah, I never, I, I would always go on days where it wasn't windy. And then the days where it was windy, I couldn't, just couldn't get to it, I guess. I don't know. What and then our- you try to, I try to show our kids a few years ago, they got kites brought back from someone from Mexico, and oh, what a disaster that was. Just running around like a fool, trying to get those things to catch wind. But you've done this before, Mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Long time ago. <laughs> uh, an unnamed listener who works with animals of all sorts, another runner-up here who says, It is not a record anyone would want to have, but I suspect that few have hand-caught as many free-roaming peafowl as I have, and they sent a picture of a peacock, a delightful photo, scooping up 12-pound fully flighted birds with one-inch spikes on their feet is a lost art, says this, this bird's menacing. listener. This bird looks menacing. I'm not saying the peafowl is menacing. I'm just saying it looks menacing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're there. And one of, our, one of our former colleagues had a genuine phobia of peacocks. So I believe they've since conquered that fear. But is it uh, the same thing? A peafowl and peacocks the same thing? Yeah, I guess uh, peafowl is like the the, the maybe the, the family of that. Okay. Or maybe peacock is a member of the peafowl family. I assume. I don't. <laughs> they have a very judgmental face. That's why I, I don't like them. Like they well, are oh, judging you. You need one for your judging porch. Get yes, a get a judgy the- peacock and a judgy <laughs> basset hound, and you're good. Could you imagine walking by that menagerie of a peacock just staring you down, like? But our winner winner is Tazzy. What does Taz have to say, Loren? I set the record for the longest continuous stand-up comedy show at eight and a half hours. I was proud of myself for two reasons. The amount of comedy I did and the fact that I didn't know I could hold my water for that long. At the end of the show, I told everybody, I need them to leave because I have a second show. It got a huge laugh. I ran to the washroom and I was taking care of what I needed to take care of. When there was a tap on my shoulder and I felt someone unplugging the microphone from my backpack because I was live on the air of another radio station doing what I was doing. Lots of love, everybody. Hope you have a great weekend. Oh, Big Daddy Taz, thanks for what you do, buddy. We appreciate uh, when you chime in. And this time you're going to the Sea Bears. So thank you for that. Before we introduce our next guest, Loren, I just wanted to read one more text here, uh, partly because it's from Ray, the green guy balloon from Minnedosa, but uh, on the subject of personal bests and records and whatnot, (laughs) this really made me laugh. uh, He says, I'm the proud holder of a trophy from the 1990s for the International Wellington Boot Throwing Championship held in Dougald. He won for throwing a rubber boot farther than anyone else. Oh, in his division. I hope that's high on the mantle with like a light shining down on it. Just a lit up trophy case with the boot throwing champion. I love those kind of randomness. Like why oh, no. that even became a contest? Who knows? Who cares? Exactly. And and the reason I, I read it because it made me laugh. And we're going to speak to a comedian here because every, from time to time we check in with our friends at Yuck Yucks and our performer this weekend. Actually, it just... It, 
I think we can get get into the the healing power of laughter. So let's say hello to Kathleen McGee performing at Yuck Yucks this weekend and next. Kathleen, hello there. Hi there. How are you guys doing? We're doing very well. And thank you very much for joining us. And, you know, we wanted to start with, you know, we, we understand that you, you recently learned some, some tough news related to your health. Yeah, I uh, recently, um, like last September, I was diagnosed with colon cancer and I'd gone through everything and uh, they had said they'd got it all. And then yeah, uh, the other day I found out that it, unfortunately, because cancer's a little jerk, it kind of stuck around. So I've, I found out that I have stage four uh, and it's in my liver and behind my abdomen now. So I don't even know what all that stuff means because I'm not a doctor or a scientist, but <laughs> I just know it means that um, I'm going to have a, to travel a lot and have a good time for a while. <laughs> Mm, yeah, well, that's. I'm sorry to hear that, Kathleen. And you're being kind to cancer. It's far more than a jerk. But I appreciate you. Uh, I didn't know what kind of word I could call it on the radio. So. That's right. <laughs> try to do try to keep it clean. But that's you know, like you know, we're having all these conversations this past week, really every week, about so many people have so much adversity to try to overcome in their own challenges in life. And here you are. You, you've lived a life trying to make other people laugh, and now you're probably looking for your own moments of levity how do you come how do you combine the both because it would be hard to deny or ignore the desire to just turn into yourself and and just worry about you rather than trying to carry on and make others laugh I, I think that like it really it's this is the therapy for me as well being able to get up on stage every night and and make a whole room laugh I, if anyone out there has ever done that it, it is a drug <laughs> it does feel good so um and i i believe you should be able to be talking about uh, this kind of stuff. I'm not saying if you come to my show, I'm just going to be like talking about cancer all the whole time, but I do throw stuff in there. And um, I found that people that always come up to me after the show and appreciate it are people that have either gone through it or know someone very close that they've gone through it with. And I think people that haven't dealt very that much, sorry, that haven't dealt closely with cancer should hear about it more. So it's less scary because that's the biggest thing is everybody thinks it's just horrible scary thing and it is but it's also life and it happens and I'm just going to deal with it in the most positive ways possible because getting angry and sad about it is just it's not going to make my life better in the end so I'm 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 gonna have a good time and there's already been some very dark jokes (laughs) like can you give us do you would you be willing to share an example sure if you want me to um I this is the fun part of my story. My brother is literally going through the exact same thing as I am. He was about um, a year and a half ahead of me. That's why I went to go get a colonoscopy because it's genetic and they found it because I had no symptoms or anything. So basically my brother and I are in the same situation. His is a little bit different. Um, And we told my dad together, uh, I think on Wednesday. And uh, as soon as I told my dad, I just asked him which sibling he had in the sibling death pool <laughs> no. we, we can throw we can throw grandma in there to make the odds a little bit <laughs> but and what did your dad say he he laughed he's he's he thinks i'm crazy and he loves me and uh yeah everyone around me knows that that the dark <laughs> stuff is gonna come up but i if you can't laugh at the hard parts in life you know it's like it's why are we going through all this then right 
Yeah, and I and I often wonder, you know, in those moments, there are going to be people when you tur- when you do go dark, as you say, that go, oh boy, and they won't even know if they should laugh or could laugh or can yeah. laugh. How do you deal with that? Because especially if you're doing that on stage, it's one thing to be having a say a casual conversation and you try to figure out how to react, but you're at a comedy yeah. club and you hear that. But there will be people that go, well, I don't know what to know, do here. I, I, again, you know who those people are? They're people that haven't dealt with this kind of experience and, and it's scary to hear about. Um, and I, I want them to hear, about, and I'm fine if somebody reacts differently, but, but this is my story. So that's what I, I talk about on stage. And I know that it, it, that my jokes and stuff will, will make people who have been dealing with this uh, laugh. I know that because they've come up to me and said, it's been so nice to be able to laugh about this because like so many people, I don't know what your experiences are with it, but you get, diagnosed and then I, a lot of people are having nervous laughter about it a lot of my friends wanted to say all these like nervous jokes and I'm like say them like it's funny I would like to laugh I don't want to cry and um yeah my favorite kind of comedy and the comedy that I aspire to do is stuff that does make people feel uncomfortable but laugh and and like I don't like to say and think too but just like but just you know be like, I can't believe I just laughed about cancer for that long. But it it does make you feel a little bit better about the world because the world is just such a crazy mess right now. Um, but yeah, if we can find the, the lightness in the dark, I'm all for it. Our guest is Kathleen McGee performing at Yuck Yucks this weekend and next weekend. And your bio at yuckyucks.com says... The dark, and you, you reference the dark things that you like to say when you're performing, but the darkest thoughts you've had, Kathleen says them out loud. So is that part of the allure of, of being a comedian, that you get to go on stage and say those things and not only get away with it, but get paid to do it? I mean, that's been, that's been my allure. That's what I've always wanted to do. And even like from the beginning, I've you know, when you start, you're not that good, but people always told me, clean it up, clean it up. But I've found a way to uh, talk about the things I want to talk about and be charming about it. <laughs> and get it. I can get away with some stuff. It's not everything I'm going to get away with. And, and people do, if you get offended at comedy, I always feel bad for those kind of people. But um, yeah, I've, um, I've done shows in Winnipeg many times. I've been at the festival uh, many times and I love Winnipeg crowds. They're always like very open and, I'm I'm really excited to be here to do shows this weekend. And honestly, who knows what's going to come out of my <laughs> I promise you it'll be funny, but it, it's going to be, they're going to be interesting shows. Because like I said, this is, this is kind of like a form of therapy for me. So it'll be I, fun. I'm about to ask you if you're taking applications for best friend, because I like everything you're saying so far. <laughs> but <laughs> I'll leave the personal stuff out of it. But you, you referenced Winnipeg and liking to play or, or do your acts in front of a Winnipeg crowd. Are there cities like where you change your approach or your g- jokes because you don't, Oh no, I know that won't land as well. Say in Calgary as it will in Montreal versus, you know, somewhere else. I personally don't, but I'm stubborn. <laughs> so I, you know, like I, I moved to Vancouver for a little while and everyone was like, Oh, you're going to have to tone it down in Vancouver. We're a little bit more PC here and stuff. But I kind of just was like, well, nobody's talking about that stuff here. So I will. <laughs> so, I mean, I, if you come to my show, you're just coming to see me and you got to accept me for me. And I guarantee you, you'll have fun. I, I can't think of too many people that have come up to me after the, and said they had a terrible time. I think Maybe you just have to wear your Lulu's if you're in Vancouver, just wear Lululemons when you're on the stage and yeah. you're like, you'll be everybody's best friend. Yeah, exactly. 
exactly. Yeah, I don't know what the fashion code, I don't know what everyone wears in Winnipeg, so I'm going to have to figure that out this week. <laughs> now, you mentioned uh, that you feel bad for, for people who go to a comedy show and get offended, but like in, I don't know, last 10 years, or you see more of that sort of stuff online where comedians will be criticized and, and, and make headlines for stuff they said during their shows. Um, and I just sort of feel like it's a comedy show. Like if you can't, say offensive things at a comedy show, where can you do it? So is there, are you feeling more of that kind of push or has there been a a push back from the comedy industry? I think that we're comedy goes in waves. Like it goes in, sometimes it's like shiny, happy comedy, like Seinfeld comedy. And then we get back to like gritty, darker comedy, like Dave Chappelle, like, uh, uh, like Richard Pryor, like people like that. And, um, I think that um, I think that if if you are going to go to a comedy show and you're expecting to be offended, don't go because you're not ready to put your own issues aside. If that makes any sense, I I know that there's and comics can say things that are offside all the time and they have to deal with the consequences. There's no comic. This whole thing of a comic can say anything and you just have to deal with it. No, like you you can go over the line, but how are we ever going to learn and grow if we can't? talk about these things out loud and let our true feelings come out. Cause if we're always hiding and being, Oh, I don't want to say that. I don't know. It might make that person mad. How do you know that that person might be like, that's one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Or people like to get offended on behalf of other people. And people are scared of getting canceled these days because of all this stuff. But you know, like, I don't know. I, I think the funniest humor comes from darkness and sadness. And I think everybody needs to be able to be a little bit less serious about themselves and be able to laugh at themselves. And any joke that's not, that's not made to hurt somebody, but talks about something that's hard. That's great. I think it's great. So yeah, I don't know. Just come down and have fun. Just like get away from the world, get away from TikTok, get away from all that stuff. And that's the other thing. There's a lot of stuff. A lot of people are online that are, saying they're comedians and stuff, but they haven't really been doing comedy for that long. So they'll say stupid things. And then, you know, people will be like, that comedian's a jerk. And they kind of probably are. <laughs> they're probably not that good of a comedian. But um, just take everything with a grain of salt. I've been doing this now for 20 years. And I've learned so much, but I'm always learning more. And my act is changing all the time. So I think comedy is my favorite form of art. And I think it's uh, I think it's something that if you really understand it and respect it, there's you'll you'll have like you'll have a great life because you'll have a great sense of humor. Kathleen McGee performing at Yuck Yucks tonight, tomorrow, two shows tomorrow at seven and nine thirty, and then next week again Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Kathleen, this was a real pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. You can get more information at yuckyucks.com.